0: Welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast, where we talk about using communication and the power of positive psychology to build a great team culture. Hello and welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast. I'm Dave Grinjinski and today we We're talking to Matthew Radbart. He's the Executive Senior Associate Athletic Director at the University of Hartford in West Hartford, Connecticut. And he's responsible for compliance and student-athlete success. He's been an Assistant Athletic Director at a couple of schools and an Assistant Coach at Chicago State, Dartmouth, and Western New Mexico. He's also the author of a book titled Lead Like a Pro, Effective Leadership Styles for Athletic Coaches. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us here on the Courtside Culture Podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Dave. Really uh, excited to be here looking forward to it.
0: Now, see, you're a great guest in my eyes because you're a basketball junkie who knows a lot about player development, but you can also provide a ton of insight on coaching development and leadership styles as well. But let's start here. My first question for you is, how did you get to where you are today?
1: So, you know, growing up, I always wanted to be a college basketball coach. Uh, It was just my dream. I loved March Madness. I just loved everything about it. So I, I always had coaching in the back of my mind. And, you know, it's one of those things where you know I I had an opportunity when I was younger just kind of helping out coaching my brother's team he's a few years younger than me and um, just kind of started developing some coaching skills felt like I was pretty good at it the kids liked me Um, I did pretty well and kind of developed from there and you know when I was graduating college like a lot of young people I I didn't really know what I wanted to do Um, you know had a, a liberal arts degree in history and classical studies and you know, thought maybe I could be a teacher, maybe I could go to law school, maybe I go to grad school, but nothing was really motivating me to go out and really pursue it, um, except coaching was just always in the back of my mind. And when I was getting ready to, to graduate, I just felt like that was the time to pursue pursue college coaching and, and was really fortunate to be able to, to land a job and, and break into
0: the profession. Well, I know you did your undergrad at Indiana, IU. I mean, Basketball Kingdom, right? Did you play in high school? Did you play growing up?
1: So, you know, I played, I didn't play in high school. Um, I played until through the eighth grade. Um, Looking back on it, not entirely sure why I didn't play in high school. I think I got a little discouraged by it. I was, I was always very tall growing up. And then in around eighth grade, I, I stopped growing and, Um, I became a big man who was the same height as all the guards. And uh, I think I got a little discouraged by it and just I didn't really stick with it. I I liked playing, but I was always more interested in the coaching side of it, asking questions, why we're running these plays, helping guys get into different spots. Um, I, I think I just more gravitated towards the coaching side of it. And, you know, but looking back on it, I really made things about as difficult on myself as I possibly could in terms of breaking into college coaching. I didn't play in high school. I I wasn't a manager at Indiana. I didn't pursue, I I didn't know, I didn't even know these things were options, trying to be a, a manager at IU or get involved with the program in some way. I really hadn't done anything with college coaching or high school or playing except for coaching my younger brothers uh, travel teams in high school and college.
0: But to me that makes you an even more interesting guest to me and, and and even more interesting in the fact that, you know, the the way you've developed your your resume and, you know, and became a coach and all that. So, because to me, like you almost had when you when you started this whole this your career, you almost have like that outside perspective looking in, since you didn't play in high school and, and you don't have a lot of those experiences. I think you have more of a you know an an objective look at coaching and leadership. What do you think, looking back on it? Do you do you, do you think you have that perspective? You know,
1: it, it's such a great point, and you know, not, not to kind of skip ahead too much, but um, you know, at University of Hartford, our previous athletic director, she was tremendous she was she was the general counsel and she was our interim athletic director and so she didn't have an athletics background but she brought it in so she brought an entirely different perspective and leadership style and i learned so much from her about how she saw things how she viewed things as a person who was on the outside looking in who hadn't risen through the ranks in athletics to be an athletic director she was looking at it You know, she looked at it through the lens of of somebody from the legal profession, somebody who would succeeded outside of athletics. And I learned so much from her and really added so many things to my leadership practice that are so important for me now. And I think you're 100 percent right. Getting that outside perspective, getting that different view is extremely helpful, especially in a profession like athletics, coaching, where once you're in it, you can really get into a bubble where that's all you do, all you see, all you read about, all you watch. And it can be hard to get those outside perspectives.
0: Yeah, you can't see the forest through the trees. You know, and and I'm just curious because I'm sure other people who are listening are probably wondering the same thing. Doing your undergrad at IU, this basketball mecca. Did that influence your your thinking at all? Did you have any connection to the basketball program there while you were a student even though you hadn't played in high school but you knew deep down inside that you wanted to coach?
1: So, you know, one of the reasons why I chose IU was for for athletics, for the Big 10. You know, I grew up in Chicago, so it was Big 10 country. Uh, just love the Big Ten, you know, my dad and I used to watch Big Ten football, Big Ten basketball. I knew I wanted to go to the Big Ten, uh, you know, I had one of those kind of magical visits to Indiana um, during my junior year in high school where, you know, you go on the perfect day and the weather is great and everything falls into place and you just feel like that's the place for you. Uh, you know, growing up I always admired Indiana basketball, Bobby Knight was the coach, you know, they had great success, so it was one of those things where You know, the sports were a big part of it for me. I wanted to be a part of that Big Ten culture, uh, be a part of that environment. Um, And then, you know, being there, it it definitely gave me more of the bug. Looking back on it, um, I I wish I had tried to get involved with the basketball program. I think that would be a tremendous experience. Um, If I had to do over again, I would certainly be, be working, have worked on that and tried to do it. But just being there, going to those games. The environment at Assembly Hall, sold out. You know the banners hanging from the from the ceiling, the national championships, all the great players that were there. I, I think absolutely it influenced and really continued to to um, stoke my the fires within me to be a, a college basketball coach.
0: So the the early days, you, know, you get your you get your first couple of jobs, and and you were an assistant coach early on were 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 there instances were there things that you were seeing or learning that pushed you towards the direction where you are today, because now you're, 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 I mean, you're in charge of hiring coaches, right? So take me back to those early days as an assistant coach and what you saw, did you see holes in maybe, and I'm, you know, and and I don't want you to throw anybody under the bus, obviously, but just from your outside perspective, looking in, did you, did you look at coaching and say, you know what? I think there's, there are different ways we could be doing this. I think there, there, there are better ways to lead. Were you experiencing some of that as a, as a young assistant coach?
1: So I've always been somebody, and and I encourage this for not only coaches, but really everybody. I'm always been somebody who looks at something like a practice, a policy, a plan, whatever it is, and, and asks, why are we doing it that way? Not in a in a negative way, or I'm not second guessing. I just always want to know, why are we doing that? You know, And if the answer is, well, that's how we've always done it, then that's when I start to look for solutions or push back and say, that doesn't mean it's the right way for now. Maybe it was when we started it, but let's look into some different ways to do things. There, I think you always need to be kind of learning, adapting, growing. You need to be flexible, open to change. And you can't just hang your head on, well, we've always done it this way, therefore we're always going to do it this way. And I think there is a tendency, and I think it is changing as coaches coaches evolve, especially now. But you know, when I got in the profession 15 years ago, I think we were still undergoing this transition between kind of the old school coach and the newer school coach. And there was this push and pull of, well, we've always done it this way. Therefore, we should always do it this way. But kids were starting to change faster and faster, and, and now it's it's rapid speed. And so when I first broke in, you know, sometimes I said it, sometimes I didn't. But I was always thinking to myself, why are we doing it this way? You know, not to say that my way was going to work or, or necessarily be better, but why don't we try something different? And, you know, I definitely had a few, you know, situations with, with head coaches early on where I didn't present things the right way, I came off as being too critical, or I kind of had to learn the hard way. You can't just point out problems or, you know, issues with the team or how things are going. You got to be willing to provide solutions along with, with that, which is the hard part. But it was definitely something where I've always, you know, tried to think critically about this and say, you know, are we doing it the best way? And let's be open to change if, if we feel like it's necessary.
0: Well, but the, th- the important thing is you got the conversation started. And before I ask you what were some of those different things that you wanted to try, I want to ask you this. Can you explain, because I think I know the answer, but I want you to tell me what is the difference between that old style coaching and that newer style coaching that you talked about that we're experiencing now here in the last 10 or 15 years?
1: You know, I think the owner style of coaching it's it's more autocratic. Uh, used to kind of be more authoritarian, kind of the my way or the highway. You know, head coach is the ultimate authority figure. They make all the decisions. They set all the standards and rules. There's little opportunity for input, and it's kind of you got to go along with with the program. You got to you know be making sure you're living up to the coach's standards. And if you're not, you know, there, there's going to be you're going to find somebody else who will. Um, it's very inflexible, very rigid. Um, But it's based on this kind of mentality that, well, a coach has figured out a way that works for them. They've had success with it, and now they're going to fit those players into it, into that system, into that culture. And the culture and the system is going to be ultimately what wins or what continues that that legacy of success. I think, you know, nowadays, you know, kids are so different. They're always changing. Their needs are, are very different. You know, kind of the new school of coaching, I think, is much more collaborative. It's much more inspirational, motivational. Uh, it's much more built on these strong personal relationships where you're really getting to know the kids and what their needs are. And you're, you're setting a standard and expectation. And you're building a culture, but you're making sure that everybody is a part of it, feels included, and has, has buy-in.
0: You are speaking my language coach (laughs) i mean that and that's that to me like i i 100 percent agree so let's now go back to those early days were were these some of the recommendations you had that maybe people were looking at you like what does that have to do with x's and o's and winning games on the floor is that what was happening you
1: know to to some degree um you know, kind of looking back on it, I I see it kind of two ways. You know, in some instances, I kind of knew it was always important to me from, you know, when I was coaching my my brother and and his friends, you know, back in high school, all the way through, you know, my last days as a a college coach, it was always important to me to build relationships with the players. I always wanted to get to know them off the basketball court. I always wanted us to have, you know, know, mutual trust and respect. That was always important to me, whether I kind of, intrinsically knew it or not. That was just always a a big part of my kind of leadership practice. So that was always something I emphasized when, you know, I, you know, to my, to my other coaches, to my head coach that, you know, we, we need to build relationships with our players. We need to, you know, know our players as people, not just as basketball players. You know, I think some coaches feel like they're doing that one way. I feel like they should be doing it another way. I think Early in my career, I had some inflexibility thinking that, well, I've got this really great idea, but my way is the way to get there. When really, as a coach, a coaching staff, as a program, we need to be figuring out a way to get there. So I think early on, sometimes, you know, I had, a, I had problems translating some of these things that were in my head to staff meetings, to my fellow coaches in a way that was respectful and understanding of, you know, they don't necessarily do it this way. So now you've got some 25-year-old kid telling them, you know, maybe we should try this. That that can be hard, especially when it's not delivered in the right way. Um, But ultimately, you know, for me, I just always tried to be, you know, a part of a positive culture, contribute where I could, you know, model the right behaviors when I could. Um, you know, and, and be somebody who is willing to listen and try to be, um, you know, a part of the team rather than somebody who's always trying to direct the culture or the program in the way that I want. Uh, I think that's really important is, is kind of knowing when is time to really kind of push for something that's important versus, okay, you know what, maybe on this one I need to kind of be a little more flexible and, and try to fit in a little bit better because you can't always be pushing your agenda. Otherwise, again, we're kind of going back to that mentality of, well, it's kind of my way or, you know, the highway or I'm the only one who's setting the culture for this program.
0: So when did you develop I guess or you know, I guess your your opinion on the way Coaches should approach, you know, or leadership styles. The way coaches should should approach their their style and maybe change it up a little bit. Get away from this, uh, you you know, my way or the highway mentality. Um, Is it? Did it just develop as you were? You were an assistant coach, and then. Took on these leadership roles and these assistant athletic director uh, positions, or like when when did you did you look at the big picture and say yes, this needs to be a major part of building a program and building a culture not not so much the on the court or on the field stuff, but it's that off the court and off the field stuff. When did you decide? this is what's... I don't want to say it's more important, but there's part of me that thinks that it could be more important. But when did you say, like, this is such an important part of building a great team culture and a winning culture at the same time?
1: Yeah, you know, it it actually... It took me some years. Um, It really wasn't until I was at Chicago State, which was the the fourth school or the last school I was at. um, You know, we... We got there, it was a, a brand new staff, we got there 2010-2011 season, and you know, we had all these ideas for how we were going to build the program, how we were going to build the culture, what type of players we wanted, what system we wanted to run. And there were a lot of challenges early on. You know, the, the first year we, we won six games, we really struggled, it was really up and down. And, you know, we, we brought in a whole new team. We had a lot of guys graduate. And we thought the second year we're about to take off. We took another step back. We won four games. And we really had to look deep inside and say, what are we what are we doing or what are we not doing that is leading to this lack of success? Because, you know, that, that's another reason why I love college basketball is you know, the coaches are, are responsible for everything, right? It's not like you could say a GM brought in these players and they're not good enough. Or well, I'm in high school and these are the kids that lived in my district and they're not good enough. In college, you bring the players in. You pick these players. You develop these players. You set the culture, the system. You're responsible for everything. There's So if there's a lack of success, there's nowhere to look but right in the mirror at yourself as to what you're doing or not doing. And we had to take a really hard look at what we were doing or not doing going into that third year. And one of the things that we realized that we were not doing was we were not considering the needs of our athletes enough. So much of what we were doing was, well, we want this type of player. We want to run this system. We want this culture. We want to do things this way. And there was no collaboration with the players. There was no, okay, What do the players need for us? How can we be flexible and change things to best fit their needs as well so it isn't all about what we want and then fitting them into it? And once, you know, that light bulb kind of went off, and that was a huge aha moment for me, and we went into that that season and came out of that summer of reflection, really focused on the needs of our players and supporting them and making sure that if we were making decisions that, you know, how the players reacted to them and you know how the players responded that we 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 took stock of that and that if it wasn't working we were willing to change it as opposed to just trying to keep putting a, a square peg in a round hole and you know we we had a lot of success that year we won a championship we went to postseason and i really attribute that to the fact that we focused on the needs of our players we supported them a lot better and we really let them be themselves. And I think that was so important, and that was when the leadership light bulb went on in my head that, well, the power of leadership, culture, relationships with your players, this can really be transcendent if you're committed to it and you believe in it.
0: All right, coach, let's coach up the coaches, and let's get in, can can you provide for me some of the specific things that you were doing there at Chicago State that, that made a difference. How were you supporting your players better? How were you building those relationships? You know, and it, whether, you know, you want a bullet point, you know, however you want to do it, but what were some specifics that coaches can take away from this podcast that maybe they can try?
1: So, a couple things. I would say the the biggest one was that we really tried to let the players be themselves. Uh, we, you know, we didn't try to, to mute their personalities, we didn't try to, to change them. We really focused on you know, more letting them be themselves and empowering them. And with that, we really focused on, and, and my head coach at Chicago State always used to say this, Tracy Dildy, who's a great mentor of mine, you know, he always used to say, all of the leadership on the team can't come from the coaches. There's got to be leadership that comes from the players. And that's, that was so, like, when, when I heard him say that, I, I was like blown away that I was like, wait a second, we're the coaches, though. And he was like, no, but we're not on the court. We're not in all the meetings. We're not hanging out. We're not going to, to all the meals with them. There needs to be leadership all those times when we're not there and during the times when we are there. But in order for that to happen, you've got to leave room for the players to be leaders. And you've got to empower them and help develop them to be leaders. And, you know, a, a kind of story about how that happened with us at Chicago State was going into that third year after we had really struggled in the first two, we had a senior who had been with us during the previous year where we won four games and just great kid, tremendous attitude, had a lot of leadership abilities, and, but we didn't give him a lot of room that previous year to really be a leader there wasn't a lot of opportunities. It was a lot of us coaching, us directing, us managing, and not asking the players what's working, what's not working, how are you guys feeling about this, and leaving room for that leadership. And going into that third year, we really said we want the players to have more of a voice. So you know, going into, we we named him captain, going into the first workouts, we asked, you you know, he asked us can I say something to the team? And we said, sure. And we didn't ask him what he was going to say. We didn't work on anything with him. We just gave him the freedom to go say something to the players. And, you know, so after we talked to them at the end of, at the end of practice, you know, he kind of took the floor and he talked a little bit about, um, you know, the team and and what he wanted for the upcoming year. But he ended it with, we are going to win a championship. And he asked us if, at every practice, he could say something, and after every practice, every team activity, every everything we did, we brought everybody into the middle, and he ended it with, we were going to win a championship." And we went from four wins the year before to a championship, and I I, I attribute that that to you know him and the leadership that he provided as not only an extension of the coaches, but just as as a peer right he was he was taking a leadership role that we didn't ask him to that we didn't we weren't directing him we weren't giving him lines we weren't telling him well here go out there and deliver this message he just went out there and organically did it and that was so powerful and the players knew that that it was organic and that it was authentic and Look, not every guy believed on day one we were going to win a championship, but as they saw us getting better and they saw the belief that he had, by the end, everybody had bought in, and that's how we were ultimately able to do it.
0: But the foundation of this is communication. And and to your credit as a coaching staff, to allow your players to have that voice, but then also to accept the fact that they may say something that you don't necessarily want to hear and then not holding that against a player, right? And, and, may, and providing that, uh, you know, just making yourselves more accessible and more approachable. To me, it sounds like the foundation of that success was built on communication
1: absolutely and and that's that's such a huge part of it and hand in hand with communication is the relationships with your players and you know kind of kind of another story and and thing that i learned that i i think is really valuable for coaches is you know when i when we were first at chicago state you know chicago state's a it's a a great institution but it's it's low resource they do extremely important work they they serve an unders an underserved population and um, but you know we knew going in we weren't going to have all the money we wanted. We were going to have to really focus on allocating our resources in the best and smartest way possible. And you know our our head coach, you know one thing that he kind of realized early on was that you know all the all the all all the kids talk now, right? They all their friends are at different schools, and he kind of realized you know guys on our team were kind of looking around and saying compared to other institutions compared to their friends at other schools, you know, we don't have drinks in the locker room. We're not getting training table. We're not getting these things. And we didn't have the money to provide it. So he started taking money out of his own pocket every week to buy the guys food for the locker room, to buy them Powerade. And, you know, I'm I'm a young coach. I don't have any money. I'm, I'm looking at, like, coach, like, wh- what are you doing? Like, how, how are you doing this every week? Why are you doing this? Do the guys need this? And You know, what he said to me was, you know, Matt, in order for other people to believe in your program, become invested in your program, support your program, they've got to see that you're willing to do all those things first. And it's got to be genuine and it's got to be over a period of time. Because why would anybody else support you or invest in you if they look and say, well, what are you doing to invest in you and support you? and that was so huge for me because I realized it's not about it's not necessarily about how much you put in monetarily it can be about time and accessibility to the players you know getting to practice early staying later right that's showing an investment in your players that's showing an investment in them you know taking them out to eat that's showing an investment in them that's how you build you know, a really strong foundation, really strong relationships so that you're then able to go and communicate whether it's positively, whether it's critique, whether it's, it's, it's direct. You've got the credibility and the relationships and the trust from your players as a coach to say, look, I'm invested, all right? If I didn't care about you, I wouldn't be investing all this time, money and effort. So through my actions, you can see that I'm here for you and this team. So when I say something to you, it's with love and it's about getting you better and this team better. And when you do those things, the players respond to it and they, they see those efforts. And I think that's so. That's something that I learned that always stuck with me that's so key is you got to invest in your program in, in so many different ways before you could expect others to.
0: Well, and what... I typically hear on this podcast, and it, it's 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 a common denominator with good cultures. Is a lot of this stuff it happens off the court or off the field. It doesn't happen on the floor. It just doesn't magically appear this great team culture and wins. I mean, obviously, if you have like you know if you're stacked, you know, I mean, you're going to beat more teams than than you play, right? But but for the for the for the teams that aren't stacked. I hear it consistently, coach. it It really starts off the floor or off the field. Do you get that sense too? hundred yeah, uh, percent
1: you know the the relationships that coaches build with their athletes off the court is the foundation of it. you know when When guys came to my office, I always tried to ask them a question that had nothing to do with basketball right off the bat. Even if I knew they were coming, we, we set up a time to watch film. The first question I always ask them is, some, you know, how's class going? How's your mom doing? Um, did you see, the, you know, did you, did you see that? Have you seen this movie? Did you watched this show? Ask them something. Get to know them a little bit and then be willing to share things about yourself. And that's how you build those relationships so that the players know you care about them as more than basketball players. That your relationship is gonna transcend them being on your team or at your school. That as soon as that the whistle blows of that last game, you're still their coach. You're still supporting them, you're still gonna do whatever you can for them, you're still gonna be a resource in the same way. If you build that with your players, first, not only is that just gonna be a tremendous relationship that you're gonna have for the rest of your life, which is so valuable, but it's gonna benefit you and them and the team during the time that they're playing for you because you're gonna have that that trust and that respect. And you're gonna have that relationship so that they'll come to you and say, coach, I need this, coach, I'm going through this, coach, I feel this. Those conversations are so important to a culture because they get things out into the open, right? They're, you don't have those things that are lingering under the surface because your players, they trust you and they're willing to know talk with you and work through things as as opposed to kind of having you know keeping them inside or not feeling comfortable and then they can become you know more corrosive to your culture
0: yeah I mean communication and trust builds confidence everybody's confident in each other you know what I mean there are no secrets everybody you know everybody's on the same page I 100% agree we're going to talk about the book I cannot wait to get to the book but I want to ask you about this so the transfer now you you, you gravitate to an assistant athletics director role how do you apply what you've learned about building team cultures and winning cultures take that from being an assistant coach to being an athletic director how did you make that transfer
1: so I, I think that in some ways you know what you do as a coach translates really well into athletics administration in other ways you've got to adjust your leadership like anytime you take on a new role and so for me you know when i was uh when i was an assistant coach i work a lot with with the other coaches in our program a lot with administrators you know I, i always believe in working collaboratively supporting people so i had a lot of experience you know working with other people as part of a team and then you've got that experience working with your with your student athletes leading a team. So a lot of those things, you know, the, the communication, the collaboration, the relationships, the, you know, serving the needs of others first, you know, all of those things are still applicable when you move into administration and you've got your own team. The kind of thing you gotta look at with your leadership practice, and, and I had to learn very quickly early on, is that I am no longer leading or managing 18 to 22-year-olds who are student athletes and balancing school and sports and a whole lot of other things. Now I'm managing and working with adults and more indirectly student athletes and a larger student athlete population. So I'm having less contact with more student athletes, but I still have the opportunity to affect positive or negative change based on those interactions. And then I'm working with all of these other coaches and staff members who I'm either kind of working as co-workers with or I'm managing. So I've got to adjust my leadership practice. And, you know, for me, when I was a, a coach, my leadership practice was really strongly rooted in transformational leadership. You know, I, I really, I'm a very positive person. I focus a lot on positive and direct communication, building relationships, you know, um, you know, motivating and inspira- inspiring my players. When I get moved into administration, my leadership practice shifted. It became more servant leadership. It was less about inspiring and motivating those at that small group of athletes directly that I was working with. And it was more about what do the coaches need? How can I support them and make their job easier? What do, what do the kids need? What do, you know, all these different student athletes with all these different sports needs and putting their needs above my own. So even though I was still practicing transformational leadership to an extent, my leadership practice changed and became
0: more focused on servant leadership as I made that transition. So, is this what led you to write the book or, I mean, in general, what led you to write the book?
1: So, we, when I was at Chicago State, I, I, I went back to school while I was coaching to uh, get my doctorate in educational leadership and I, I just started doing a lot of research on leadership styles for coaches. and working to kind of figure out what's the best leadership style for coaches to practice because I always thought that when I was in coaching that there weren't enough leadership training, coach-related leadership training opportunities and resources for coaches. I mean, coaches are asked to lead 18 to 22 year olds who are in this extremely important growth and developmental phase of their life. They're asked to not only be coaches on the court but they're asked to take on all these other roles. You're you're a father figure or mother figure, you're a confidant, you're a therapist. I I, I was a chauffeur, I was a chef, I was a class checker. I'm doing all these different things. You need a really strong leadership practice to take on all those responsibilities. And and that goes for whether it's college coaches, high school coaches, youth coaches, the needs of, of your kids is very far-reaching and they're all different and you need a really strong leadership practice for that and you know I just got the sense you know talking with my friends who are you know in business for example they were getting more leadership training in a year than I was getting in you know five years ten years I there just weren't that many opportunities and I just saw this hole in kind of leadership training for coaches and I you know based on my experiences my research my observations kind of putting that all together and saying you know I want to write a book that's a resource for coaches to be able to learn about leadership and a tool for coaches to be able to go out and practice the the leadership the best leadership style for them and that's what I was trying to do with the book was just Provide that for coaches so that they had another, you know, opportunity to go out and learn about leadership and and learn how to be more
0: effective leaders. So the book is called "Lead Like a Pro: Effective Leadership Styles for Athletic Coaches." Now, without giving you know, without giving the book away, we I want you to sell some books. Like, what does leading like a pro entail?
1: So. You know, I, I think a, a mistake that I know I made as a coach, I think a lot of, you know, particularly young coaches make is, you know, we we go out there, we, we read John Wooden's book, we read other great coaches' books, we watch great coaches on TV, and we say, well, I'm going to go do what they're doing. I'm going to replicate their behaviors. I'm going to apply them to my kids, and then I'm going to be successful. And what what we're missing, what I missed when I did it was, was that the reason why you know, a Mike Krzyzewski is so successful as a leader over such a long period of time is because he's figured out what leadership style and behaviors work for him and he's matched those to his personal values and beliefs. So every, all the decisions he's making, everything he's doing is supporting what is important to him. So, you know, for example, like for me, okay, it's very important for me to be positive, uplifting, motivational, inspirational. Okay. I should be practicing primarily then transformational leadership. Well, that might not be right for another coach. We could both be successful, but they might believe in you know something different, right? So I, if I went out there and copied them, I wouldn't be being true to myself, and it ultimately wouldn't get I wouldn't get the results that I wanted. So you know what I want to try to do with the book is say, look. Here's foundational leadership knowledge. Here's a bunch of great leadership styles. Look inward and see what's important to you. Figure out what leadership style or styles that is. And then in the second part of the book, I give you tools and teach you how to practice those leadership styles so that you're able to go out there with your kids and be the leader that you want to be.
0: Do you find, you know, especially in high school and college, that... Even if you settle on a leadership style, it might work for one group of kids. But then, in a cup, you know, two three years later, you may have to find a different leadership style. Is it like an amoeba? Is it constantly changing? Absolutely. Um, You know, I I think, and I I give this kind of example
1: a lot to coaches. If if last year you won every game, you won the champion. You won the championship and you this year are bringing every kid back and you're favored to win the championship, you can't practice the exact same leadership style and do everything the same you did the year before. Kids are gonna change. Uh, and, you know they're gonna, they're, gonna have, they're gonna incur different challenges during the year. You know, their perspectives are gonna shift. Their needs are gonna shift. The ball's gonna bounce a different way. You're gonna, you know, unexpected things are gonna happen. So your leadership practice can never be static. Now, if you could, a coach can say, you know, I'm, I'm always going to come back to you. I want to be positive, inspirational, motivational. Great. But how you do that might be a little different for every kid. You know, some kids that I coach, they didn't want all the praise, right? They were like, coach, you know, I could tell they wanted, if they did something truly great, they wanted the praise, but they, did, they wanted the greats, not all the goods. Other kids, you know, they really needed to be built up through a lot of you're doing better, keep going, good job, all the way to great. So I'm I'm still practicing the same leadership style. I'm just doing it in a different way because the needs of the kids are different.
0: Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I 100% agree with that because every kid is different, you know, and every, you know, not every kid is going to be comfortable coming up to the coach and, and asking coach, hey, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I, are you getting what you need from me? You know, where other kids are going to be more vocal and they're going to, you know, some of them don't even have a filter, which can be good. It eh, could be a little, you know, it could be bad. I've coached, you know, I just, and I'm just thinking of kids that I've coached over the years, you know, and, you know, it it is they're all so different and this you know like you mentioned the the approach has to be different and me personally and I'll see if you agree I think the onus is on the coach to look at each of those kids individually and figure out the best way to communicate with them
1: oh i I completely agree um and, and that comes down to the relationships like we talked about, but that also comes down to listening to your players. I mean, that was something that I had to learn and develop over time. And that was difficult for me was, you know, in order to understand what my players need from me, what the best way to coach them is, I've got to be be tuned into observing them on the court, but also listening to them, hearing, you know, what they're saying, actively thinking about, wait, like he's he's telling me he doesn't understand this. And I'm saying, no, you're getting it. Keep going, keep going. Well, he's telling me he doesn't understand. I need to, to change things a little bit. Even though the, everybody else in the team might have moved on, I'm not explaining it in a way that makes sense to him, right? So, you know, it's about listening, looking for those cues, but I totally agree. It, it's your job as a coach to figure that out, right? And then fit it in with all the other players. You know, that that's one of the things that, you know, is, is so important about coaching is making sure that you're figuring out a way to relate to all of your players in order to build that strong team culture because you know i think we've all been part of teams where you know if there's you know one player who it's not working for or who's having problems within the team culture it it could really you know corrode the entire foundation of what you're building
0: well right and then you know if if that If that player feels isolated, I mean, who knows where that could go? Because then, you know, like you said, the kids are talking all the time you know, that spills into the locker room and he's complaining about coach. Coach wouldn't explain it to me. I don't understand. Does he not care about me? You know what I mean? And it's like, it it just, it could spiral out of control. And, and for what? I mean, really for nothing, you know, just all it would have taken maybe is, you know, an, an extra minute or two to hear the kid out and, and maybe just try a different approach or, maybe after practice, just say, hey, you know, come on over here. Let's, let me, let, let's try this one more time. I want to make sure you have it. And going back to your point of showing your kids you're invested, that would be another way to do it. Because now what is that, what is that kid going to do? He's going to go home and she's going to, hey, why, why were you after practice? He's like, oh, well, coach wanted to make sure that I knew exactly what it was I was supposed to do on this play. And what's mom or dad going to think? They're going to think, that is awesome to make sure you know he. You know what I mean? It just it could go, man. It, it's such a fine line from from such a what seems like such a minute thing. It's a fine line from toxic to great culture. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think you know I agree, and that it's that's why it's so important that you're you're tuned into your players, you're listening to them. You've got those relationships, you know, and and the other thing that I think is so important is you can't build a great culture quickly. You can't build it overnight. It doesn't just happen, right? It takes a lot of time. It takes a building a really strong foundation, building you know pillars from there. It, it takes a lot of time. And the one thing that's so hard in coaching, and you know, I've been through this, and I, I know it's you know, in talking with coaches, it's one of the hardest things is coaches at all levels are under so much pressure now to improve, win and, you know, do all of these other things for their players, but you're not going to get to where you want to go. You're not going to ultimately be successful if you try to rush those initial steps of culture building and you don't follow through fully on all the things you've put in place. Right? You can't, you know, build really quick relationships with your players and then You know check out for the next couple of months and assume that that foundation is still going to be there you got to be willing to keep building it over time and stay committed to it and You know I think that can be so difficult with the pressure coaches are under nowadays, but ultimately that's what's going to give you the best chance to at the end be the best version of the team you can be and have an opportunity for, for kind of ultimate success
0: or the achievement of those ultimate goals. So if somebody wants to buy the book, how can they get their hands on it?
1: Amazon Barnes and Noble, um, anywhere you buy books, it's available. Uh, but you know, those are, uh, definitely, I think the easiest ways for for people to go ahead and pick up a
0: copy. So if, a coach I I guess I want to ask you this too like do you, do you think this is talked about enough these days I mean I'm you know I'm doing the podcast I'm finding people who talk about it but every it seems like every time I I ask this question the answer is typically no are we talking enough about this about you know building these relationships with players and communication and you know all these off the court things that help build a better experience for our players are we talking enough about it
1: so You know, honestly, I think we're, you know, because it's so important to me, I think we're never talking enough about it because I think it's, it's so crucial. We should really always be talking about it in front of mind. But I do think our awareness as coaches has increased greatly over the last, I mean, in the 15 years since I broke into coaching, the, the awareness of it has increased just a ton, which is, which is tremendous. And, And it's because of, uh, people like you in the podcast who are having these conversations and pushing it forward. I think now we've moved into an area where coaches are aware of it. A lot of them think it's important. I, I hope most of them think it's important. I, I really think, think they do. But I think now we also need to add to the conversation of helping coaches with tools and resources for how they can do it. Some coaches, it's intrinsic, right? They just naturally know how to do it. Whether they're specifically setting out to or not. But a lot of coaches like me have to learn about leadership practice and the role that this plays within building a team culture and a successful team and to ultimately understand the impact of what they're doing. And I think kind of with that conversation, we need to add, you know, not only is this important, and we're so glad that you're listening and reading books and listening to lectures about it, but Now we've got to help you go and take all that information and knowledge and translate it to actually building those relationships and the culture with your with their players. And I think as many tools and resources we can give coaches, the better chance they have to do that.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Now, Coach, we we talked about where they can get the book. Let's talk about if somebody hears this and maybe wants to reach out to you, how could they contact you?
1: Yeah. So they can, um, they, anybody can contact me on LinkedIn. Um, uh, I'm on LinkedIn all the time. Um, they can email me, um, at my last name, RAIDBard uh, leadership at gmail.com and, uh, or through my website at, uh, Ray Um, but you know, always, always willing to have those conversations, love having them with coaches, love talking leadership and coaching and culture. So Welcome, you know, anybody has any questions or wants to reach out, I, that'd be great.
0: Listen, folks, if a knucklehead like me can find him, the smart people of the world can find him and, and get his insights. Like, this has been so great. Like, you were so perfect. And honestly, truth be told, it was... It was Matthew, who reached out to me, and this is what I'm hoping for. You know, I hope people hear this and say, you know what, I can provide some insights too. So I cannot thank you enough for reaching out to me and, and coming on the podcast.
1: No, absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. This has been great, great conversation. And I, I hope we uh, opened a few people's eyes, you know, helped, helped some people, gave them some information that'll be helpful, and we can keep moving the conversation
0: forward. Okay. Now, before. We cut you loose we have to do what's the coolest and first things last what's the coolest involves you coach what is the coolest place you've either played watched or coached a game
1: yeah so uh, you know i was really fortunate during my career to uh to coach games in a lot of really big time environments and atmospheres um you know Two come to mind quickly. Um, one is uh, when I was at Chicago State, we went to play BYU. Uh, a lot of people might not realize that, um, you know, BYU basketball is unbelievable. And that that's building is unbelievable. And I just remember we were warming up. I think it's an hour before the game. They opened the doors and let the fans in and all of a sudden we looked up in the stands and all of these fans were running to their seats like they were just gonna run on top of us. Um, And they just were loud and into it from 60 minutes before the game on. It was an unbelievable environment. And the other one is uh, Michigan State. Um, When I was at Florida Gulf Coast, we went and played them in the opener after they had uh, been in the national championship game the previous year against North Carolina. And the environment was so electric that when Coach was talking to us on the bench right in front of us, we could we couldn't even hear him uh, as a staff. It was so loud and electric in there. And um, those two a lot of great places, but those two come top of mind.
0: Yeah, those the, those experiences are priceless. Man, I I couldn't I couldn't even imagine. And again, this is why I like asking these questions because I I would never think BYU, right? I'm thinking Duke, Cameron crazies, places like that. Right. But, but, you know, to say BYU, you know, now it, you know, it, it, you're, they're on my radar. I would have never, I would have never expected you to say that. Yeah. uh, Just,
1: and and there's so many, you know, I I could, you know, I could keep going with so many, you know, of um, it's not even only the big gyms. I mean, um, University of Vermont, St. Mary's up in California, like little, you know, smaller two, 3,000 person gyms where the fans are on top of you and just unbelievably passionate. I mean, just two more, um, that fans should really know about that are just tremendous and just such difficult places to play because the fans are just, you know, so enthusiastic.
0: Uh, that's, that's just awesome. Now, coach, the last thing we do is our list of first, which I like to call first things last. And so coach, please tell me, what was your first job I mean, you had a lot of jobs already but in basketball but what was your what would you consider to be your first legitimate your first real job
1: that would be uh, working concessions
0: at the uh, local park district pool oh there you go yeah nice if you're out of the sun you did not have to worry about the sunscreen right at least you're <laughs> you were undercover <laughs> exactly right yeah so so what was your first car
1: First car was a uh, a bright red stick shift Dodge Neon two door um, that uh, my parents gave me when uh, I was going to my senior year of college, and um, I'll never forget kind of driving that stick shift around hilly hilly Bloomington, just hoping I could get to the top of the hill so that I could roll down the other side. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, the first
0: car. Yeah, uh, I I know how to drive a stick, and that's one thing I think I think everybody should know how to drive a stick. But yeah, hills are not fun when you're when you're when you're driving a stick. And I know now they have like uh, things on the newer cars where like the you know a like hill roll or something like that where it keeps you from rolling back. I I really could have used that in my days of driving a stick. I can only imagine in the neon. <laughs> so how about this? first record CD or cassette that you bought and I'm thinking you know with your I mean I don't know if record comes into play but first record CD or cassette
1: uh, so the first CD and uh, it was the Temptations greatest hits when uh, when I was I think in like the seventh grade I, I listened to it every morning on my CD player walking to school
0: tremendous uh, tremendous album that is a classic See, That's why I love doing this because the answers always surprise me all right how about this what was your first concert
1: First concert was um, Blink-182 um, at a venue outside of Chicago. I was, uh, you know, I grew up kind of in the, the kind of punk rock uh, era when I was kind of growing up and in high school and uh, went to, with my best friend to see Blink-182 uh, set on the lawn.
0: Hey, that's a good one. And this is the last one, Coach, and this is present day. What's the first app you check every morning?
1: Uh, email. First one
0: is uh is always email. Someone's always trying to get a hold of you, huh? <laughs> well, I can't thank you enough for coming on and uh and talking today with us. I really appreciate you reaching out and, and coming on and sharing your insights.
1: You know, thanks so much for having me. This was great. Uh, really appreciate it and just love the work that uh, you're doing in the podcast. It's awesome.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, folks, if you know a great coach or even an athletic director who's out there doing great things, winning games and building a great team culture at the time, I would love to hear about them. Would we'll love to get him on as a guest here on the podcast. You can reach out to me on Twitter at CourtsidePod1 on Facebook and Instagram at Courtside Culture Podcast. Remember, Build your player strengths, find them all a role, and you'll take them from good to great. We'll see you next time.